what how does it go anyways it translates to the dumbest farmers grow the biggest potatoes (laughs) (laughs) mic drop how are you doing i'm good um we might have a new soundtrack today in the background we got kasha a new chew toy which uh she's been devoting herself entirely to um (laughs) so instead of a uh, low drone of snores in the background today you'll hear the sound of her chewing uh, this rubber rubber bone cute she's so sweet she is sweet and uh, by by the way, happy uh, Lesbian Visibility Day to you, oh. oh, thanks. To me and Elon Musk's ass, according to Azealia Banks. <laughs> How did you celebrate? Um, I didn't moisturize my skin. <laughs> but uh, honestly and truly, uh, shout out to our lesbian friends. You you are exactly. the uh, uns- un- unsung heroes. I agree. Of you our are. homosexual lives. You That's are true. not the squeaky wheel ever. Yeah. You're not um, hogging attention like all these fages out here. Yeah. Especially in New York. <laughs> I personally never met a lesbian who was a mess. I'm sure they're out totally. there. But uh, I feel like it's the uh, exception to the rule. It's always an outlier. Yeah. Yeah. The G's are definitely the mess of the LGBT sandwich. For sure. And, um, yeah, I'm sorry we crack all these jokes about you, about, uh, you know, you rushing into commitment, et cetera, et cetera, bringing a U-Haul to a second date. Which I wish I could do, but I've been single since 2012. So, <laughs> um, Well, once you get to that second date, get your Robin and Vinches truck <laughs> and be like, sorry, it's parked outside. <laughs> And it has the soft top on it. So we need to get moving because mm-hmm. someone could slash it and steal the contents if we... Maybe, yeah, maybe Fytog could make a wallet out of it. <laughs> oh, my God. I still have one of those. Uh, I just ke- I kept it for nostalgic purposes. I remember this, uh, this girl in my class had one in architecture school and it just smelled so bad it had that like horrible off-gassing smell <laughs> i love that <laughs> honestly those things should make a comeback like totally. sh- uh, bottega veneta whatever they're called should really uh, get on it bottega veneto veneto yeah um vendetta uh what else should make a comeback from like the aughts since that's uh, just around the corner, obviously. That. What about those shoes I sent you this morning? What are they called? Oh, those ugly diesel sneakers, like the low kind yeah, of casual shoe. Cut, yeah, that go with like a uh, a, uh, a boot cut jeans. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, diesel jeans as well. Remember like circa 2005? These, oh, of course. These like very distressed $400 diesel jeans that there were guys in my class wearing them. That is, it's just so wild to me that that was the thing people spent so much money on back in the day, sort of brand, yeah. brand recognition. Especially back then, like, that was a lot of money back then. That's even a lot of money now. Like, I would not spend hours on jeans. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, the only thing people in my class, like the rich kids, would spend money on was a G-Shock watch. <laughs> 
uh, that was a status marker, but uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. Can I just say unrelated? Like every time we start this recording and I open FaceTime and it opens a camera first thing, <laughs> I recoil <laughs> because this front camera is just so terrible that it just makes my heart go out to people who have to zoom on a daily basis for work and have to look at their faces at this like horrendous angle. I know. It's, I don't know. I have like a 2015 MacBook Pro and the camera's just terrible. Like I'm in a brightly lit room now and if I kind of pull up the camera, it's just, it looks like those catfish photos I was complaining about. Yeah. That Ica sends. And I just... <laughs> I ask myself, like, okay, this clearly represents reality, like a certain slice of reality and certain like light conditions. And so, but I ask myself, like, how much like percentage of reality does it like <laughs> represent? Like, do I look like that 30% of the day, 40% of the day? Because uh, if that's the case, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Um, it's just terrible. It's also like I'm backlit because I sit in the in the kitchen and lights coming from like the uh, from the living room, and there's just nothing worse than than <laughs> that form of backlight. Um, by the way, I just want to announce that this episode is just going to be 100% about us, and there will be no art mentioned. So <laughs> just stay tuned um, in. Yeah, we've been getting complaints. I guess we're yeah. just that kind of boring. Yeah. Um, your quip about the FCC was right. <laughs> it was very prescient. I mean, it's true. Um, yeah, our stands are not happy. But I mean, <sighs> I told I told Jordan this morning, like, I had, like I can't talk about art to that extent. And to that depth yeah. every single week. Well, what like, is there to I don't, talk about? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I don't like sleep, eat, breathe, and whatever arts. Like I, I need a break. And this podcast has also like definitely upped my like my sort of cynicism. Uh, yeah, the cynicism in my blood. But um, we are an arts and culture, contemporary culture commentary podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we are bold and brash personalities. Um, we're vaxxed and waxed. We're va- yeah. I got vaxxed on Friday and got sick 36 hours later from AstraZeneca. So <laughs> wait, what did you get? I didn't realize you were, you actually came down with something. Oh really? Um, yeah, I thought you were just being like, like mildly baby. fatigued. <laughs> uh, no, I got, so Friday at eight like 8 30 a.m i got it the first day i was fine i just made me felt a bit tired or whatever but also i woke up super early to go to the appointment and um the next day i woke up saturday morning also felt a bit sluggish excuse me a wendy burp um (laughs) at least it wasn't the other one um and Woke up, felt a bit fatigued, kind of had this hangover feeling, you know, like the, I had three glasses of red wine the night before kind of feeling where you just kind of feel dehydrated and like a slight headache. Uh, mm-hmm. I met friend of the pod, Nikki, uh, for a picnic in Prince Lauerberg. I cycled there. Uh, we sat on a bench. We had like really fun sandwiches we made. Uh, and then when I got home and it was just like a 15 minute bike ride to get home. Uh, I felt a chill when I got back. It was 
like I ended up being, uh, like I went into bed in all my clothing, pulled the covers over and I was just chilled. So it was obviously kind of like a fever starting and, uh, I subscribed to the reality streaming service, Hey You, and started watching the current <laughs> season of Keeping Up with Kardashians and lost interest two episodes in. Um, and I started... Wait, does 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 Van Jones make an appearance? <laughs> I hope so. He's a <laughs> snack and a half. He is. How will she ruin his yeah. life, though? I wonder. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, the hottest man in you've ever dated um also very accomplished and yeah you'll ruin him um so i i totally pick i totally picture him in that like bootcut <laughs> jeans and those diesel <laughs> shoes by the way under the desk totally yeah there's just a blazer on top <laughs> yeah which is funny because uh you know jeopardy this year has a uh, a rotation of hosts uh every two weeks mm-hmm. and we're currently on the uh anderson cooper Oh God! Uh, uh, cycle translucent and he's much skin translucent. He's much better than the one before him, which is one of those uh, uh, football players. I'm totally God. forgetting God. his name. <laughs> oh, I wish that, that giant I Polish can on Damn. at the, the at whole, the podium. <laughs> the whole family. Yeah, they're hot. Remember on Shark Tank? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean they're not uh literate per se or <laughs> are able to complete a sentence but still oh aaron Rodgers was uh, the host you know really? him yeah yeah i'm surprised he was the host he's just like he's his like first of all i don't know he's like dead as a doornail basically <laughs> when it comes to like expressing himself intellectually mm. it was just such an odd choice uh, and there was a lot of uproar because uh, I guess Dr. Oz, oh, Dr. Oz, I guess I missed him because I was out in, uh, out of town, but he was also a guest host for like two weeks. Oh yeah. The pseudoscience doctor accusation. Oh my God. I also, like, I also missed Katie Couric. Oh, uh, I love Couric's, her. Uh, damn. But LeVar Burton's still coming, right? Who's that? LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow. Oh my god, he's a major. It's because you didn't grow up in North America. It's okay, we'll catch oh, you sorry. up. It was, there was a show uh, called Reading Rainbow, and it was to encourage children to read, and it was on PBS. And LeVar uh-huh. Burton uh, was the host of it, and we all grew up with him. Oh my god, sorry. Yeah, he's, we didn't get that He's the sweet black man. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of sweet uh, black men, Bill Whitaker's the next one. Ah, from from 60 minutes and then buzzy cohen no idea a jew former jeopardy champion speaking of jews mayim bialik yeah (laughs) she's the one after this uh, buzzy cohen guy damn can't wait for her may 31st through uh, june 11th yeah i would actually be down for her just staying on as the host like yeah it really depends on whether she's charismatic because some of those guest hosts you'd be surprised they like come on the stage and they're just it's like dead air uh, and then Savannah Guthrie. Love her. Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Why? CNN chief medical <laughs> correspondent. God, I just bring Did on Katie, George Stephanopoulos. Uh, sorry, Kathy Lee. <laughs> yeah. No, George Stephanopoulos <laughs> is doing it in July. Can we just keep him? Um, I like Katie. Katie's uh, she's charismatic and um, authoritative. 
Yeah. Robin Roberts is after uh, George Stephanopoulos. And then LeVar Burden. David Faber? Faber? <laughs> Co-host of CNBC's Squawk on the Street? Oh, God. What the hell are those people? Who cares? Joe no. Buck. God. <laughs> Joe oh, man, Rogan. <laughs> God. Could you imagine? Bye. Actually, Howard Stern would make for a great Jeopardy host. <laughs> should we audition <laughs> they for Jeopardy? Out, they should do like a duo hosting of Roseanne and Sandra oh Bernhard. God. Oh my God, Sandra <laughs> Bernhard would be so good. She would be amazing. Wait, they need to do an uh, SNL skit. Like, Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> they need to do an SNL skit of like uh, Jeopardy host auditions. That would be such a good totally. skit. And, it, and that would be yeah. like that. It would be like <laughs> Sandra Bernhard. I love her. But have, I mean, uh, Roseanne is one of my my favorite like uh, Instagram presence yeah. at the moment. Um, you need to watch that Isaac Mizrahi documentary, Unzipped. Oh, I should. Um, okay, when I'm in New York, we'll watch it because Isaac Mizrahi is ridiculous. But then Sandra Bernhard like appears so much because they're best friends. I mean, she's incredible. Yeah, she's incredible, and it's such a good era. It's shot in like 1994. So, yeah um yeah roseanne's just amazing she keeps posting these like she dresses up like jane from tarzan and posts pictures from like tropical garden and wherever the fuck she lives now her roseanne's nuts farm (laughs) she's hawaiian right yeah i think her roseanne's nuts farm is in uh hawaii (laughs) her macadamia farm or whatever (laughs) she never tags herself oh and she also she posts these like uh yeah she does live in hawaii she she posts like pictures where she's dressed like a like a 60 like a 18th century like homesteader oh my god did, i love her when did they tighten her lap band thank god whatever she had done she looks great now she also looked great plump and juicy uh it was clearly not the healthiest lifestyle for her but like seasons one through four on Roseanne were honestly the best. Yeah, I mean, the original Roseanne was amazing. Like, before she got all the insane work done, she was so sweet and cute. I mean, the show was great up until she, like, wins the lottery, and yeah. it's a whole, like, f- weird flashback thing. Yeah, that was that was the shark jumping moment for sure. And yeah, I think that's but, when she got kind of insane in the production, was just, like, yeah. producing everything. And also, like, if you have an issue, if you take an issue with her, you clearly don't understand humor. Because if you're able to watch an episode of Roseanne and not, like, LOL, yeah, something's wrong with you. Also, she uh, obviously has issues in trauma. Like, Yeah, who doesn't? Yeah, no, I'm just saying it's, like, not that you get a pass for, like shitty behavior but like i think yeah of course also she's a loud mouth but i just think like um she also has obviously issues and i think that should be like seen in context of that yeah they honestly should just let her host the oscars next year (laughs) because like this year's oscars were such a dud yeah um like i watched it but it felt like sort of background fluff it was nothing even to like you know keep me Essentially interested. Yeah. Um, I did not see one film yeah. <laughs> that was nominated or up for, con- you know, consideration even. It's been a yeah. weird year. 
Um, uh, I watched Nomadland and I shed a tear, but I can't tell if it was because of the movie or because it was my first venture back into the movie theater uh-huh. like a month and a half ago. Uh, I felt like such a novelty that I could not contain uh-huh. myself. Um, yeah, I don't know. Everything seems like uh, a little extra annoying nowadays. Yeah. Like it feels like you're signing like a a social contract when you go to the movie theater these days. <laughs> Um, uh, it's like you have you have to do the work, not the other way around. <laughs> All I want is like a return of ninety minute rom coms. Um, oh, absolutely! But it's not. It's, I mean, how could you even revive that at this point without it being really annoying? <laughs> I just want like a Devil Wears Prada esque programming. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was talking about it with my friend Rebecca the other day. She listens to this to this like culture podcast and they were they dedicated a whole episode to 1998 mm-hmm. movies and i had to like google it and realize that it was just an unbelievable high time for like hollywood like some of the That's best true. movies that we've seen growing up like uh being john malkovich a truman show godzilla uh elizabeth deep impact uh what dreams may come you remember that robin williams nope <laughs> it's like an afterlife movie it's uh, really sad well the, 99 uh, was crazy i remember it was like american yeah, beauty but, but, like yeah insane like high quality yeah. no I it mean, is great expectations saving private ryan city of angels oh my god with the um, with a johnny resnick soundtrack yeah <laughs> uh oh my god too, uh, it's a shame we were like too young to be uh, like cognizant adults to like have enjoyed life. Because to <laughs> me, like how old were we? Nine, oh, we were like 13, 13, 14. Yeah. But you know what? That's when I was seeing movies the most in junior high and high school. Yeah. Because what else would you yeah, do? Yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, we weren't going to see like American Beauty, but then a couple of years later you would end up seeing it because then you were kind of old enough to be interested in a movie like that. Yeah. I mean, sorry, in 1998, I was busy uh, being out of the country on my bar mitzvah <laughs> trip to London and Paris, <laughs> um, which was such an amazing formative experience for a 13-year-old. Like, it was my first time out of the country. Sorry I didn't grow up in North America and had, like, <laughs> multiple jaunts as a uh, grade schooler <laughs> to, yeah, like, exactly. Africa. Like, uh God. Ch- charity trips to africa yeah costa rica uh, with a new york times writer oh my god <laughs> i'm so curious how that went down is that like something they force new york times like a, a, a you know old staffers to do on the side the whole trip just sounds shady <laughs> yeah Honestly, I miss him because I'll never forget those uh daily episodes he was on when we were doing our residency in italy yeah yeah uh he it was so informative and like frightening at the same time and nobody else could have you know yeah. s- served it in that tone except for uh, him yeah. he was the voice of authority and reason yeah and he's a fucking cranky new yorker <laughs> we know the type <laughs> like we just know the type uh they also just lifted the uh, the outdoor masking mandate oh here so like i'm <laughs> I'm ready to start calling out people for wearing oh masks in public. Oh my! Well, you know the um, the in this si- in this house we believe in science crowd is melting down right now. 
Totally. <sighs> Just when I ordered you that that facts matter bumper sticker. <laughs> Um, yeah, I should just walk around with a Facts Matter t-shirt so, like, people can't, uh, you know, accuse me of being, uh, this or that. Is there, like, something with, like, an infantilized, uh, Dr. Fauci as a superhero t-shirt or anything I can get when I'm there? Um, we should make one. Yeah. <laughs> we should totally make one. We can sell on Canal Street. <laughs> Totally. My new favorite disgusting corner of Broadway and Canal where the whole Prada Gucci on a on a blanket on a sidewalk phenomenon has really exploded. It's incredible how certain things just sort of don't change and that sort of slice of New York is it's kind of like a cockroach that will survive a nuclear holocaust. It will outlive us oh all. Oh my god. The first thing I ever bought on Canal Street was an led scrolling belt buckle in 2005 yes wow (laughs) what what compelled you to make that purchase they suddenly became a thing they were popping off never seen it before they were hilarious um it was a fun novelty Uh and it was all over canal street and i i saw people on the street with them i was like i need to get the led belt buckle the kids at school are gonna crap when they see this That was a good Michael Cora impersonation. Uh, I got to say, I went with a friend of the pot, Stephen, on a gallery tour this weekend because he has a beautiful piece in a show up at the moment at uh, Gern Gallery, oh, G-E-R-N nice. in Alphabet City. Also his girlfriend, uh, Catherine. Oh, nice. And uh, and so but we started our gallery hopping on the uh, all the way on the west side and like the f- far end of Tribeca, basically. And that's one of the things that truly changed in the city, like pre and post pandemic. I would like never go gallery hopping exclusively in Tribeca. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, you know, I would usually make a, like a, a jaunt into like Chelsea or yeah. go see a museum show or whatever. But like this time around, we met all the way out West and sort of made our way East. And it's sort of a landscape that is not like all that etched into my muscle memory, that part of town. Yeah, only Taylor old... Swift's uh, house in Tribeca. That's the only site, you know? Yeah, basically. <laughs> Like, I don't have my go-tos in Tribeca. I don't have my, like, my automatic route or anything like that. So it felt like, you know, experiencing things for the very first time. Uh, so we actually saw a group show in a fucking gallery that I'm forgetting the name now. It was pretty nice. Went to see... So I'm going to have to pull up my archive of stories just because my my non-covid brain fog is kicking in but i love the uh, work uh that steven is showing in the show i really like that painting yeah we, it's very nice everybody check it out we should post it on the instagram at sign thoughts on art that's thoughts mm-hmm. with a zero yeah and make sure you um, share us on all your platforms mm-hmm um yeah what did i see went to oh so the gallery is called theta t-h-e-t-a it's a really nice group show and then we went to luring augustine's space in trebeka where there's a sanya kantorovsky show oh nice uh with some funny face it's called recent faces and it's basically like portraits of like like a funny looking people i have like that's basically a, the smart and the dumb way <laughs> to describe it am i um, in it <laughs> <laughs> went to the whole Saw the Eric Shaw show, which was, was Bernie the Palm there. 
No, he wasn't. And I wasn't even greeted hello, hello upon entry. And the guy behind me, it was in a blazer, was very amicably greeted hello. Ooh. And I'm, and I was thinking to myself, you don't know my net worth. True. Like your connections. Also, like, do they not train front desk people at galleries who, like, have more sort of nuanced profiling of yeah. people's, you know, fashion expression? Because, like, you don't know if I just dress down, yeah. but I'm loaded. Yeah, you could be a Bitcoin millionaire. Yeah. A tech bro. Yeah, basically. Um, I mean, do you, have you been to the, to the Hort collection in Tribeca? Yes. Do you know what they look like? Yes. Okay. Exactly. He, basi- <laughs> he basically looks like uh, what's his name? I forget. Um, uh, Michael Michael Hort, Susan and Michael Hort. They basically look like the quintessential. Uh, I I wouldn't just call them rich New Yorkers because it's a very sort of specific, um, you know, intersection mm-hmm. of New York City wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even know how they made their money, but they basically, like, you could not for the life of you be able to peg them as, like, millionaires. Yeah, um, they just look like random old people. Yeah, they just look like rundown Jews, basically. <laughs> um, but they have this incredible, like, house in Tribeca yeah. that houses a collection, which they, pre-COVID at least, would open uh, to the public once a year. And it, that would honestly be one of the nicest experiences in the city to just, like, a... Uh, you know, tour through their house. They're very generous and open, at least public facing wise. Cause like allegedly there are stories of their like very short attention span as to like the artists like groom and cultivate. Um, but you know, beggars can't be choosers. If you're like <laughs> brought into a collection, like to me, at least like that is the beginning and the end of the achievement. Like yeah. what more do you need? <laughs> yeah. How many pishamic pishaks do you need in the end? <laughs> yeah exactly um, they also f- you, you know they also famously not just buy one work of yours they collect uh upward of three pieces mm. if i'm not mistaken that's their minimum which don't be fucking greedy greedy just like you know your work sold into their collection as long as they're not some like obnoxious flippers like david had mentioned uh the other episode with that collector who you know switches gears basically every season yeah. and offloads his entire uh collection yeah um well yeah it's a game for some people they like the image of a collector but really it's a a game or a profit mechanism or right honestly come to think of it that's one of my most sort of uh the fondest memories i have of experience relating to the art world is being you know toured around toured around like private collections and homes yeah it is a nice experience because it's so out of the ordinary and it is always fun going through people's houses <laughs> yeah like uh my recent trip to mexico they uh the gallery took me to see casa casa gayardi that uh barajan the architect's house that he designed for his good friends mm-hmm. and uh they have a beautiful uh, sort of pared down collection there but now for zona Maco for art week in mexico city they uh, installed some robert yanitz works there uh that just really like makes not just the work look amazing mm-hmm. but like even improves on the aesthetics of the architecture and interior design oh nice um look at us we're just at 100 percent rate talking about art Fun. how do you like that <laughs> look at that 
<laughs> What's next? We're going to talk about the uh, pros and cons of black gesso versus white gesso. Um, what is your stand on that? <laughs> Actually, I Do started you- using black gesso uh, a month ago and it was amazing. What do you use it on? Is it just a primer? I used it as a use? I used it as a primer on a Dibon panel, and uh, huh. and you actually don't need to do anything on Dibon because the surface is basically painted already. So you just have to just lightly sand it, and then I use like a rubbing alcohol or another solvent just to clean all the dust off. But even apparently that's not necessary. Um, but I use the gesso just to see. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted another, I wanted a base below the paint that wasn't white. Because some paints, like yellow or red, because of the pigments, they're very sheer always, no matter what paint you get. Um, so you're using like five coats just to have like an opaque color. So God, I should really hire. I should really hire you as like a pigment <laughs> chem- chemistry advisor in my studio. Uh, we can get you Vanta Black. Um, Wait, what is Dibon? Is that basically like a thin thing of aluminum on foam? It's uh, a composite sheet. In the middle is plastic. I think it's polyethylene, uh, mm-hmm. and then the outside layers are aluminum. So you have a very rigid aluminum sheet, but it's much thinner than if it was solid aluminum because aluminum is so soft. Um, What are the pros? Why do people use it? Well, I use it for my works because I need a rigid surface Mm -hmm. um, to basically screw onto the back of a metalwork. So I use it for that reason because it has to be like a flat panel. If it was wood... Um, the wood could warp over time or could crack. Mm. It's also kind of more fragile. Yeah. Um, and again, like to have that rigidity, the wood would have right. to be much thicker than the dye bond is. And yeah. dye bonds also use like for building facades, um, for cladding, uh, but it's also used for photos it, for, for mounting. And it comes in all dimensions, like you can go really big? Yeah, it, it comes as as large as kind of sheet goods come. So kind of those dimensions that you would buy like a drywall sheet or a plywood sheet. Um, bi- well, so it's, it's well drywall comes, drywall sells in bigger than, a, uh, than plywood, no? Probably, but it like maxes out at some sort of size, you know, that could okay. like fit in like a pickup truck or something. Um, I mean, my issue has always been, and I can't even tell if it's an issue or not, but like, I honestly can't afford it financially or in terms of like uh, space capacity in my studio to straight up buy like cradle panels at like, you know, size of four by four, six by six or like eight by eight. I don't have the room for that. And they're also really expensive. So what I've been doing is just, I mean, you know, I, I paint on, uh, on MDF panels that I then conjoin and mount onto basically just a a frame of a cradle panel because like my I just make a lot of paintings and I can't afford for any of them to be too precious to like have to really stress out when I make it and so but my problem my problem always is sort of the post-production phase of okay this painting goes to this show or it's sold to this person then okay I have to build up a backing sort of a you know, panel for the back of it, and then you have to mount it onto it, and you have to wait for the paint to dry. Yeah. And 
it's always a headache. But we also had this conversation. I can't, I'm forgetting if on the pod or outside the pod. But like, uh, what non sort of traditional painters will never understand is that for us, the category of our art is that there's always a headache. That's uh, like the post production phase o- always involves some type of like logistical headache yeah. for us. Yeah. Um, like mounting the work or getting it like to sit right. We don't just paint on a canvas, stretch it, and call it a day. Yeah. No, it's true. <clears throat> um, yeah. Uh, maybe we wanted to talk about this super annoying New York Times article <laughs> <laughs> that was published uh, actually six days ago. It was updated six days ago. God knows what they had to correct. Um... You have it open? Yes, I do. Okay. It is uh, entitled, Welcome to the YOLO Economy. (laughs) Burned out and flush with savings, some workers are quitting stable jobs in search of post-pandemic adventure. Okay. Um, YOLO, Um, a term popularized by Drake in 2012. (laughs) Thanks, mm -hmm. NYT. Yeah. 2012 called, (laughs) basically. Um, so something strange is happening to the exhausted type A millennials workers of America uh, after a year spent hunched over their MacBooks, enduring back-to-back Zooms in between sourdough loaves and Peloton rides. <laughs> they are flipping the carefully arranged chessboard of their lives and deciding to risk it all. Some are abandoning cushy and stable jobs to start new business turn a side hustle into a full-time gig or finally work on that screenplay. Others are scoffing at their bosses, return to office mandates and threatening to quit unless they're allowed to work wherever they want, whenever they want. Um, so this article goes on to talk about actually in, in insane depth at how basically everyone is either exhausted, <laughs> burnt out or traumatized at this point in time. And they're willing to essentially switch around all their sort of their wealth cushion into endeavors that are basically are within reach to them because (laughs) whatever there's no there's no risk (laughs) in any of this uh, type of change for them um and one of the people they interviewed is quoted saying so brent williams 33 a lawyer in orlando florida had his YOLO epiphany during a Zoom meditation in February. So it's a mediation. <laughs> oh, sorry, mediation. I was like, okay. A meditation would have been even better. <laughs> that, yeah, that would make more sense. Um, I realized I was sitting at my kitchen counter 10 hours a day feeling miserable, he said. I just thought, what do I have to lose? We could all die tomorrow. So he quit leaving behind a partner position and a big firm salary to take a job at a small firm run by his next-door neighbor and to spend more time with his wife and dog. I'm still a lawyer, he said, but I haven't been this excited to go to work in a long time. <laughs> um, first of all, you're 33. You could not die tomorrow. The chances are <laughs> slimmer than slim. And so maybe the New York Times should have disclosed to us that they've interviewed a neurotic hypochondriac. <laughs> um also um you're 33 how long have you actually been working for (laughs) like yeah exactly Um, as a lawyer olivia mess 
Olivia Messer, a former reporter for the Daily Beast, also quit in February after realizing that a year of covering the pandemic has left her exhausted and traumatized. I was so drained and depleted that I didn't feel like I knew how to do my job anymore, she said. So Miss Messer, 29, announced her departure and moved from Brooklyn to Sarasota, Florida, near her parents. Since then, she has been doing freelance writing as well as pursuing hobbies like painting and kayaking. Um... Girl, your problem is that you like was working for the Daily, Daily Beast, Beast to begin with. Um, Again, you're also 29. You're, 20, you're 29. Like this, this truly like uh, super young, like ripening and maturation. Like I, I don't understand the youth these days. Well, because they had helicopter parents that just coddled them. <sighs> Just call it what it is. You were just basically interning at the Daily Beast, <laughs> and they discontinued your position or like downsized or whatever. Even though like this past year, I guess the Daily Beast has seen more like clicks than ever before. Yeah. Um. But um. Also, like, just how is everyone exhausted and traumatized? They all just sound bored. But guess what? All their aspirations of their new jobs—they're going to be bored after a year too. They're just. Yeah, basically. They're like, uh, and they sound do, spoiled. Do they realize the meaning, the like actual meaning of the word traumatized? <laughs> do they realize what it, it takes to like traumatize the soul? <sighs> I, I'll tell you, it's not working for the Daily Beast. Actually, to be honest, I would be traumatized if I had to work for the Daily Beast. <laughs> um, and also, I guess the New York Times has just like made languishing the word of the year. Oh, God. It's uh, like, because. Yeah. We learned about it from the Mariah Carey song. So thanks, NYT. <laughs> it says, if languishing in 2021's dominant emotion, YOLOing, may be the year's defining workforce trend, a recent Microsoft survey thanks, <laughs> found that more than 40% of workers globally were considering leaving their jobs this year. Blind, an anonymous social network that is popular with tech workers, recently found that 49% of its users plan to get a new job this year. I mean, I'm sorry, globally, 40% of workers globally? Are you? Did you interview, like, a, uh, I don't know, COVID ward, like, workers <laughs> in Bombay, Mumbai? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's not the same as your, like, New York, Brooklyn-based, like, Daily Beast freelancers who's like, okay, whatever, I'll just up and leave and go to Sarasota to live with my parents. Near my parents. <laughs> Near my parents, sorry. Um, These, this all just sounds like rich yeah. people problems. I just have to say, this is... It absolutely is. This article. Yeah. Like, Mr. Mosley recently decided to leave his 130000 a year job before June 1st. The date his company is requiring workers to return to the office. Um, like I mean, I will say, friend of the pod, Rebecca has uh, has told me last week that she finally got the dreaded email from her em- employer <laughs> announcing the return to office yeah. date. She's been really thriving. Sorry if I'm. Uh, I don't think she listens to the pod, but uh, she's been really thriving at home. So yeah. the whole sort of WFH yeah. change has been great for her. But uh, and hard for others, I think it's uh, and hard for yeah. others, of course. Yeah, I mean, uh, clearly, if you don't have children, roommates, or whatever, you are, uh, yeah, you know, you're a well well off in that sense. Yeah. Um, I just um, I kind of resent this like overuse or 
manipulative use of the terms you know, burnout, exhaustion, trauma. It's just such a like, you know, it's yeah. a page out of the the annoying woke book where everything is sort of dialed dialed up to beyond beyond yeah. the yeah. Well, you know, um, you know, it's exhaustion. My father working as a janitor doing back backbreaking labor or at a factory. Um, yeah. Not to diminish like managerial class tasks of Zoom meetings and emails, because mm-hmm. I mean I also do these things. But yeah, I think uh, I don't know. You should be happy you're not on a production line somewhere, like countless people in your community. Um, whatever happened to just having a modicum of shame and like complaining, like airing your complaints to? anyone else other than your immediate partner yeah. <laughs> or you're like the people you live with. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's really, there's really no honor in like having you quoted complaining, <laughs> uh, all over the yeah. New York times, literally in the paper of record. <laughs> yeah. Like what about your next potential employer who can I just know. so easily Google you and see that at 29, you felt you were burnt <laughs> yeah. out yeah, and you're a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um yeah and and yeah. yeah have a little shame again there are people that would kill to be exhausted by writing emails for $130,000 a year yeah versus making $30,000 a year to be like doing backbreaking labor that everyone could care less about yeah exactly um and the only reason I brought up this article is because uh it was referenced in Artnet News or Bibles the grave market opinion section uh today i guess uh written by tim schneider um entitled the gray market why the yolo economy actually spells trouble for the fragile art ecosystem and other insights our columnist considers whether the forces driving young professionals to switch careers are driving the art industry into submission um so uh he says in the in the article on Artnet News, um, Roos's argument primarily focuses on upwardly mobile professionals in their late 20s and early 30s who have grown to distrust the traditional white-collar career path during the unforeseeable chaos of 2020 and early 2021. He sums up the dissonance this group has been experiencing by writing, they had watched their independent-minded peers getting rich by joining startup uh, startups or gambling on cryptocurrencies. That's me. Meanwhile, <laughs> you, yeah. are you rich already? Um, l- slowly losing money on doggy coin. <laughs> Slow but steady. Um, meanwhile, their bosses were drowning them in mundane work or trying to automate their jobs and were generally failing to support them during one of the hardest years of their lives. Um, and then this article goes on to sort of, I guess, trying to explain why there's this uh, you know, slow exodus towards the NFT economy which kind of you know for people is sort of like the gold rush sort of promise well, Amir, um, we just don't get it because we're like really lame and old and like we're not cool no excuse me we we do not get it because we're neither zoomers nor boomers <laughs> exactly <laughs> we're neither kenny Schachter nor cherry salts those are the two ends of the spectrum of the (laughs) ella emhoff's um tangled curl oh my god (laughs) the the single curl um yeah what was this other bit i wanted to uh 
the quote from the Artnet News article. Um, I guess he also talks about the fact that he he tries to like equivocate it to, um, you know, potential burnout among artists. Um, trying to see if like artists these past year have like suffered sort of the brunt of the economy kind of, you know, stalling or going on pause and their chances of making sort of a living for themselves uh, in this past year. Um, if the diminishment of that is also like leading to like an exodus from the more traditional art making sort of environment into the more, uh, you know, cryptocurrency sort of mentality of the NFT kind of realm, um, which kind of made me think that, um, I don't know, personally for me, working as an artist in this business, I only realized it way too late in the game when it was like too late to make any career switch that like I'm in this for like better or for worse. And there's truly nothing that you can do to like, you know, accelerate your exposure success or whatever in this field. Yeah, totally. And so like, I guess my experience, I don't know if it's been yours this past year during COVID is that you were just like, okay, bring it on. Whatever will happen will happen because it's not like we were, you know, on like the peak of, mount olympus and now we're gonna fall all the way down yeah exactly i think i think we're just more sort of we're weathered to deal with like as as you know jaded artists we're i think more weathered to deal with the punches life throws it yeah yeah i agree i think uh i was when kind of the pandemic started i was worried and freaked out, but I mean, like you said, we're already in this very uncertain business because it is. Um, yeah, it's constantly throwing punches. So COVID didn't really change anything in that regard. Yeah. And also talk to some like, you know, very established artists in this field. And regardless of COVID, they will t- they will also tell you it ebbs and flows even yeah, for yeah. them yeah even super successful artists it's not a constant upward line and constant activity and stuff to do and it's not like owning a shop and you know right i mean the only thing that truly took a took a hit this year for artists who are you know having a moment was just the, the whole visibility kind of inertia yeah um i guess that took a hit and for artists who i guess they're speculators and or dealers were hoping for 2020 to be their like you know catapult uh, upward that took a hit yeah. but having said that and like, i don't mean it cynically or in a bad way but like um those are few there weren't a lot of them like still and if you look at sort of the grander scheme of things like the vast majority of artists didn't have those like potential springboard opportunities in 2020 and so they just like kept business as usual basically mm-hmm. uh which was to just make work in the studio and hope that something will happen which if anything in 2020 was made slightly more possible by way of you know the collapsing of these barriers that made it more possible for you to interact on a you know direct level with collectors um, dealers yeah, definitely. whatever yeah i think uh it, it did collapse certain barriers because you know like almost every artist is on instagram and people were exploring that kind of as a method to discover new work or artists 
And there wasn't this judgment of like, oh, well, you're not in this art fair or, you know, you're not right in this cool group show because there was just like so little happening. So maybe that was a good thing that it kind of leveled the playing field in a way. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because with all the talk about NFT, my Instagram browse feed has also been exploding with a lot of spawn con from like um, artists, private studios Mm -hmm which I think is beyond legitimate to just, you know, promote your own work as a uh, completely unknown artist who has a, an, a a thriving, whatever, like, studio practice. Totally. Um, I think, if anything, that's the model for a more sort of low entry-level artist to, like, make it. Because, like, I don't know, if you're, if you're a uh, consultant or if you're, like, a... Uh, designer or whatever who's looking to like furnish a an apartment or yeah. to stage it or whatever all you have to do is go on instagram and it, sooner or later you'll get you know totally promoted one, this or that artist for for a reasonable price i'm sure oh definitely and and that's the thing you don't have to wait around for opportunities uh you can make your opportunities because because yeah. i mean with or without provenance your work is going over the couch that's where it's hanging yeah and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, yeah. Um, why are you making the work? So it sits, in, so it sits in storage somewhere. Like, yeah. Um, you should embrace that people want to look at it and live with it. And even if that seems like oh, it's cheesy, or like this whole thing about lobby art or whatever, it's like I would love my work to be in a lobby. It's like yeah. people will see it and enjoy it every day. I mean, to be honest, every single time I drive back home from Riverdale from my in-laws and I pass uh, by the J.P. Morgan building across the street from the World Trade Center and I have to see Julie Maritou's <laughs> lobby painting and I'm like, this would have looked better at an airport terminal. <laughs> it's true. It actually would make sense in an airport terminal. Yeah. It's networks and, and systems. Yeah. And I also, that's like... I don't see it as like a it's it's not like a, a positive talking point per se in her regard to like be like, oh, but look at her, she's in the lobby of the JP Morgan <laughs> building. I'm like, so what? It's JP Morgan. Like what what are you trying to say? Um but it, yeah, even a friend of a friend of the pod, Jeff Koons, <laughs> has <laughs> Has fallen on some uh, hard time. Not hard. T- <laughs> yeah, not hard time. <laughs> he's uh, yeah, he's left uh, Gagosian and moved uh, over and, to Pace. And Zwerner. Oh, he was both at Zwerner yeah. and Gagosian. Yeah, it was a oh. it was a marriage of the minds. Well, f- from your understanding, what a uh, business sense did it make? Uh, to have him uh to have him divided between Zwerner and Gagosian? Uh, was Gagosian like showing him outside of New York or Zwerner? I guess expansion in always always. Uh, like our friend Ryan Serhat, <laughs> friend of the pod. <laughs> um He's he's also been uh been uh, popping up on my Instagram feed because this artist I follow who has a residency in the World Trade Center thing. Oh yeah. I guess his work was bought by Ryan Serhat and is like hanging very prominently now in his living room. Um, Why didn't he buy the I, works of Frederick Eklund's husband, Derek? 
totally. Maybe because they were so extremely beefy, beefy beefed on the uh, on the show. He's also pretty beefy, but uh, um, I missed that show. That was such like good. Uh, I just like WWF style like real estate drama. Okay, I just got Hey You like the NBC Universal reality streaming platform. I am praying yeah. that. <laughs> million dollar listings on there i haven't checked yet so is what's his name that jewish uh realtor that joins them on like season four is he on there oh, steven gold he's so hot god he's so hot with his um god what's his polish wife's name it's like eva or something <laughs> he's honestly i like he's only jewish by name <laughs> he looks jewish he looks like a russian jew really <laughs> yes Wait, what's He's his name so again? hot. Stephen Gold, I think. Sorry, I have to look up shirtless pictures. <laughs> and he lives in the same building that fucking Ariana Grande lives in down the street from the Eagle. That Zaha Hadid really? building. Yeah. Oh my it's in God. one of the episodes when they have a baby shower. It's quite impressive. Like, uh-huh. down the street from my favorite New York gay bar, um, Ari lives in your building. There's a good pizza slice Ooh. on the block. Honestly, he does. He does. He looks like a. He looks like an Israeli model, <laughs> like an Israeli underwear model. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's hot. He's hot. Um, he looks like an NHL player, which he did play hockey. Oh, totally. Yeah, he has that like NHL player face and hair. Yeah, he should host Jeopardy. Yeah, he's good. Oh my god! Um, I'm just looking at a photo of him with Frederick Eklund from Getty Images. God. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> there's truly there's no one more annoying on a uh, reality TV than Frederick Eklund. Yeah. Oh, they went on Family Feud. I should watch <laughs> that. Oh my god. Um. Um. Anyway, yeah. So uh, a friend of the pod, Jeff Koons, has left uh, Gagosian and Zwerner and has uh, switched over to Pace. What does that foretell, or why did that come about? What's your take? Uh, well, the article states that it could be connected to them funding the production of large works, uh, mm-hmm. since they have worked with many, you know, artists of that kind of caliber and scale. Uh, and Jeff Koons' works are very cost-intensive and production capacity-intensive. Uh, all those kind of the polished, you know, mirrored works are made in Germany and then shipped around the world, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how do you think that? How do you think that works? What kind of a agreement does he come to with the gallery in terms of his expenditure on production versus the galleries versus what he takes in terms of cut from sales versus the galleries? How do you like agree on those terms, basically? I don't know what his agreement was, but maybe this is why he jumped ship. Maybe they offer that they would just pay for the entire production. Uh-huh. And they have the clientele that is looking for these large works. So maybe that's... Those la- Lady Lady Gaga era art flops. <laughs> Which according Those to the article, um, he had to lay off studio staff in 2017 because he had a downturn. Um, because there were reportedly lackluster sales of his gazing ball paintings, which he showed at Gagosian, which I agree, those were garbage, and so was Lady Gaga's 
appropriation of that aesthetic. Um, yeah. I think the gazing balls in and of themselves were fine. It's just a whole juxtaposition with those like, yeah. uh, you know, classic works. It was just a little, a little, it was cheesy, tacky. Yeah. It was tacking in the wrong way. I mean, Jeff Koons knows how to do good tacky and that was just corny. But the, there were sculptures where it was like, let's say a porcelain, you know, classical sculpture holding the mm-hmm. gazing ball that I can accept. Yeah. Um, right. Because, you know, there's like the white of the porcelain with the metallic blue sphere. Mm-hmm. They're both quite simple, even though the plaster form is more complex uh, in yeah. its composition. But the paintings, like like repainting a Michelangelo painting and sticking <laughs> like a mylar-covered aluminum sphere onto it looks so tacky and stupid. Right. Much like the Lady Gaga costume that had the gazing ball coming out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I think that idea could be explored in more interesting ways. And also the the gazing ball reference is such a specific um, reference to an era. It's like something mm-hmm. I was not familiar with at all. You know, when it, when he did that series, like, oh, uh, suburban homes would have gazing balls. And I was like, I have never heard of this or seen this. Uh, I mean, I've seen those, but if anything in the context of classical work, what makes more sense is those like, you know, Vermeer detail shots of the mirror, the mirror in the space yeah. of the like Dutch couple or whatever yeah. that, that has the like beautiful reflection that makes more sense. But also like in terms of the classical like figures, I feel like Oliver Larrick's work it's more interesting. Yeah, for sure. There's actual there's an actual take on it. Whereas in Jeff Koons's case, it was just like the figure itself, only like juxtaposed yeah. with his sort of signature um addition. And I'm trying to find the other artist's name who also has like interesting takes on that intersection of juxtaposition. Tony Tony Matelli. Do you know his Oh name? yeah, yeah. Yep. Um so he often takes these like, you know, classical busts or figures and like throws a a banana peel at it or just like places a piece of other fruit on it and everything is meticulously Mm -hmm. sort of reproduced to look really real um and it's just it's edgy and it has like a bad boy sort of vibe to it which i like it and jeff koontz's body of work that body of work just was a little too like suited it was just a little too like uptight, yeah. In my opinion, uh, but I also wonder what's like a Kunzian downturn in terms of sales and finances because <laughs> I I imagine there's still a lot of like business going on there. Totally. I mean, there were also all these back orders on, right? These uh, you know the celebration series like the balloon animals that had to be produced, etc. Yeah. I don't know. He should just stick to that. Like the. It's like people love fun, cuteness, brightness, confetti cake. <laughs> I know, but he always had like that extra sort of je ne sais quoi. And I kind of wonder at his sort of level of production and uh, stature, how hard is it for him to decide to sort of shift course yeah. or to go a different direction. I'm sure th- I'm sure those things are planned out years in advance and there's 
very little room for or maybe it's like the lab at apple <laughs> where they experiment with all those like you know entry level like gadgetry basically and like once in a blue moon that stuff like finds its way into like mainstream production yeah um i just i'm looking at the gazing ball paintings right now i just think they're atrocious yeah they're just they're very chloe wisey and how like sort of shallow they are yeah also they're just the way the ball is integrated isn't interesting or in terms of the composition yeah i don't know i think something could have been done maybe like maybe it should have been like a convex mirror that the painting is painted into or something. Well, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. That's the like the uh, the Renaissance reference that yeah, should have been made. Exactly. But not this gazing ball. Um, he just Jeff. We're only being critical because we love your work and <laughs> we know that you know better. Okay. Yeah. So he, and also nobody nobody listens to this yeah. podcast. So although we are slowly climbing, so are we? Yeah. Critics are raving. Oh, uh, my God. I'm seeing he did one gazing ball painting with someone who looks like Tom Hanks, <laughs> which is funny, like an old Dutch guy, much unlike his son, who I think is adopted because he does not look like his parents at all. Chet. <laughs> Chet Hayes. Chet <laughs> How does he not look neither like Rita, Rita, Rita Wilson or Tom Hanks? How's yeah, that, I really how's don't that get it because that other son, Colin, looks exactly like Tom Hanks. Yeah. And Rita Wilson really has, she, she has like a distinct look. Like, she, like I imagine if she had, like her children would look somewhat like her. Um, yeah, she has that hot Greek mom face. Yeah. She totally looks like Marnie's mom, basically. Um, So, yeah, Chet Hanks, bless this mess. (laughs) I'm sure uh, future listeners of this episode will recoil because some, like, major controversy is going (laughs) to cancel us in retro (laughs) When some other Chet Hanks drama pops off. Yeah. Uh, Well, it's Thought Boy Summer coming up, so. (laughs) Oh, true. And uh, mind permitting fasting is working, so I'm shedding <laughs> shedding those British stones. And as we speak, what you lost, I found. <laughs> is that a Madonna song? <laughs> no, it's a quote by my father. Oh, speaking of which, she had something dissolved. She's uh, looking increasingly better. Oh yeah, our standing has doubled down and up. Like she looks amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have shown a picture of her to friend of the pod, Rebecca, who hasn't been, you know, following up uh, with her. So she essentially hasn't seen the face of Madonna in like four or five years. She was obviously like, uh, yeah, traumatized <laughs> looking at the current Madonna. But like we've we've seen the sort of incremental changes, which spiked at a certain point. But now it seems like there has been some like removal of some accidental overfilling. Yeah, and she just seems in a happy place and loving her uh, youthful spark and joie de vivre. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, she's always excelled when she kept you sort of interested in what she did. And I don't care if it's at the expense of her, you know, a uh, proper look or like visibility. 
I still find her very interesting. No. I think she's at her worst when she's boring, uh, aka MDNA era. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. She's just like bored and trying to maximize profit. Yeah. And that has been the conclusion of Lesbian Visibility Day. <laughs> Which uh, actually totally happened to me a week and a half earlier when I had to take my Subaru to the dealership <laughs> for its six-month <laughs> maintenance. And let's just say I waited in the waiting room with anything but lesbians. And so, <laughs> shout out. <laughs> um uh, yeah um, what are okay, what, i think the i think the uh the fcc will let us uh <laughs> let us keep recording for another week the canadian crtc <laughs> oh my god we, we have you to also uh we have to inject 33 percent canadian content into this episode <laughs> oh my god were you also a uh, standing for a uh justin trudeau's taking off of his shirt to get his uh <laughs> no, he's disgusting He's disgusting. He has a cultural appropriation, um, like Pacific Northwest. God, First that shoulder tattoo. tattoo. Yeah. Uh, Damn. Girl. It looks like, it looks like, uh, he looks like, it's look, it's like a tattoo The Rock has. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's sad. Anyways, for someone, for such a, like a pretty boy, I would also expect him to like invest a little bit in uh i don't know in his torso like muscle mass I just i'm like is that a haida graphic he has on his arm can uh a specialist from christie's please uh email us and let us know oh my god um <clears throat> yeah so uh just to go back to the yolo article what's your do you have any yolo tendencies <laughs> at the uh sort of tail end of the pandemic i don't want to jinx it but no i'm just no i am constantly trying to think of like a get rich quick scheme because mm-hmm. <laughs> i just want more financial security in my life i mean you're not a jew those things just don't come naturally to you so <laughs> our forefathers might have commingled sexually back in the day but you just you lack well, that then maybe specific you can help gene. me maybe you can help me come up with ideas and i'll just execute Girl, them <laughs> tell me tell me how to do it i'm jewish i'm gay i'm white where's the money where is the money exactly so i'm trying to think of like a side business you know something that just like that's how you end up buying an apartment because clearly it's not happening right. in the art world unless you look you're super successful you know so i mean with your current funds you can buy an apartment somewhere in like Ulan North Carolina. yeah that too <laughs> Uh, um, I'm very fortunate that I, this is the focus of my professional time mm-hmm. being an artist. Um, but it would be nice to buy an apartment or something and not worry about like, can I make the mortgage payment next month? Because I have right. random amounts coming in. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's telling that the past year hasn't really changed anything in our artistic approach? because i mean the past year has been it's been extenuating circumstances and pretty extreme and everyone keeps like rooting for some like you know a cultural like sea change yeah to the tune of like you know a post-war sort of shift or something like yeah that. But, like, i don't think so i feel like i've been waiting for it 
this whole past year and it's just not coming <laughs> like well i've this change i've experimented i've experimented with excuse me jesus this <laughs> this ice cream keeps burping up <laughs> um i've i had more time at home because we all did like i was just trapped at mm-hmm. home especially before being in berlin and my studio is at home so I did have kind of more time to explore and experiment with things. Um, But they haven't necessarily kind of like made it into my work, but maybe one day they will, or maybe they have informed certain things. Right. Um, Actually, you know, I mean, the, 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 you know what, like the sort of, yeah, the paintings that I'm doing for the show in Paris, I think that stemmed from like an experimentation I was doing with like a different color and stuff in a different way. Like I was making yeah. these kind of like oil paintings on canvas with a certain color palette. And I think that yeah. made its way into what I'm doing now connected to kind of like what my work has been for the last while. Um, so I guess that has done something, but I don't think there's like some seismic shift where it's like, it's like, Oh my God, my whole perception of life in the world has suddenly changed. Like what, but like you, you don't, you don't feel like the whole sort of tr- trauma or whatever you want to call it of the past year has or the dark the darkness sort of has infiltrated your psyche and has impressed your artistic approach i guess is my question because mm. like the whole the whole cultural sphere is rooting for that yeah. is my feeling i think there's like certain things where it's like anxiety and unease at times but mm-hmm. i don't know I don't know. It's hard to say. Also, the I, I don't know that you have to be able to translate anxiety into something, uh, you know, visibly understandable or communicable. Um, maybe this sort of expectation for a cult, for a se- seismic cultural shift is not going to happen because maybe. I don't know people don't have the capacity to truly process things on a on a more fundamental and deep level, and it it shows in the likes of that New York article where people are just so used to like complaining on a superficial level, which to me sends this, the message that people are just not truly in touch with sort of deeper changes in themselves. Um, I don't know everything just. If anything, this past year has only gotten more superficial. More superficial, I feel. I feel like, and people's only way to deal with it is just to like complain. Yeah, it's not a lot of sort of uh, introspection. Yeah, on a deeper level. Yeah, I don't know. It's been a rough year, but it's more rough just in ways like being in the state of suspension. Uh, but uh, like we've all experienced those hard, hard sort of moments. There's no doubt yeah. about those things. But is it even possible to have like bottled those moments and to have like converted them into artistic energy, and at the same time send a message to the world or sort of be at the vanguard of a cultural change? I don't know. I don't know. Um, we'll let the critics decide. <laughs> yeah, it kind of just you know it reminds me of the Trump years where. It was just this constant cycle of trying to understand the moment, to like crystallize it, to decipher yeah. it. And it was just, it was an impossibility. It was a lost cause to begin with. Yeah. Uh, well, it's always difficult to make these like huge cultural pronouncements. Um, 
it's like I remember after 9-11, there were all these articles that were like, oh, people are so rattled right now. They just want a return to comfort food. And it's like, it was like, it was like writing a trend piece based on like no data or evidence of that trend happening. (laughs) So it was like all these food trend articles, I remember, about like the return to comfort food. And you're like, right. But... (laughs) Where did you get that from? You just like made up a hypothesis and now you're writing well, it as fact. Culture. Every, a culture, culture is just, you know, made up yeah. on the fly uh, by people yeah. in positions of power. And you know that it also kind of explains why art in the Trump era sucked because people were just reaching for the very sort of lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. There was very little introspection and once he got, you know, voted out of office, everyone just dropped it. And there's not even like a cultural moment where we're looking back at that era and trying to, at you know, with hindsight, sort of understand what happened. Nobody cares anymore. Yeah. It was just dropped, uh, which just goes to show that whatever was happening in those five years, people were doing for either immediate gratification, resolution, or a quick profit, which kind of resonates in trends in the art world now in terms of like wanting to make a big exit yeah or you know put together a scheme that will yield a high revenue or whatever yeah anyways bottom line slow and steady as the germans say nach wie vor <laughs> um it hasn't changed still same principle there's no shortcuts in life i'm sure marianne would echo that yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! What are you? So what's uh what's coming up for you this uh, week? Uh, just gonna catch up for, with friends. Um, outdoors. Is it, is it your birthday? Oh my god! It is. Yes. On Monday, it's my birthday. I thought it was Sunday, but it's Monday. Yes. Um, are you turning? Are you turning twenty five again? <laughs> turning at thirty six. So. Oh my god! The big three six. I know. Well, welcome to the club. Now we're both vaxxed and 36. <laughs> Amazing. We should get waxed together next time we're in Oh, him. my God. Like I did with friend of the pod in Warsaw a few years ago, Brendan. <laughs> well, you got waxed together? We got waxed. He's like, I'm going oh to Fire God. Island. I need to get waxed. And then... Um, Why? Why? Because you need, need to look like a baby seal? <laughs> well, you know her. So, yes. Um, oh, my God. By the way, I feel like he's gotten so many shout outs and never mentioned it to either of us. So I guess he's never listened once. No, we definitely do not have uh, the following we should have because yeah. like most of our friends, I don't <laughs> think even listen to us. Thanks, friends that don't listen to us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we went to a place called T- wait, Time for Wax or Just for Wax. Anyway, the uh-huh. Warsaw, we have Warsaw stands. Hey, Mache. Um, I will be quickly corrected by tomorrow morning. I think it's time mm-hmm. for wax. Just for wax. Anyway, um, Brendan got, I don't know, a Brazilian or something. Uh, he's like, you should get waxed too. Wait, did, did that include the butt crack or <laughs> just the front? I don't know what he had done. Um, but but I, had, um, I had my little seal patch at the small of my back done. Oh, yeah. cute. And it felt really velvety. It was such a strange sensation. It was uh-huh. really weird and uncomfortable afterwards. Like super sensitive. And then when it started growing back, also your skin gets really sensitive and starts breaking out as well. It's just like, 
Right. I'm sorry. Um, everyone just stop waxing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if you get waxed for like sexual purposes, you need to do it well in advance because you have to like let the breakout sort of wane. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What are you up to? Oh well. Uh, well, I'm going home for my nephew's bar mitzvah next Cute. week, so we will be out because I'll be having a really condensed sort of one week only in Israel. Um, but I'll be back um, fully locked and loaded the following week. And um, yeah, it's going to be uh, for you Europeans and Canadians, it's going to skyrocket to 27 degrees oh in a matter of two hours here. So I'm going to hop on my bike and bike down to brighton beach and stuff my face with some um some russian num nums i can't wait i can't wait to go there with you i've never been to brighton beach it's so nice and the food is great everyone's uh everyone has a scowl Mm -hmm. they're angry and uh i love it i feel like just like home shout out to our slavic fans Mm mm-hmm and um yeah i don't know i just want to like Spend the summer poolside at Soho House oh with a mezcal margarita. <laughs> that is my white boy summer wish list. Okay, please take me. Um, try to get me in as a visitor. I might be banned from there. but <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> of all my investigative journalism I was doing. <laughs> really? When? The Bottega Veneta thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Uh yeah, also, I, I don't know if I told you this in person or not, but, like, I was dining there, like, a month and a half ago, two months ago, even even before, uh, like, dining had reopened in New York. So House doesn't give a shit. It's, I also don't think they're supposed to, like, they have to, like, abide by those rules because they have all these, like, exemptions for being a private member's establishment. Sounds shady. <laughs> Sounds shady, but whatever. <laughs> not my fault um anyways can't can't wait to just like seal that sort of uh put the seal on my intermittent fasting uh, to prep my body fully for a uh, hot boy summer white boy summer i just need i have another like six pounds to go so everybody uh please cross your fingers for me i'm crossing everything okay i'm going low carb i want to be snatched when i get to new york yeah you should um because Um, people don't actually want a bear pashemic so that's actually not true. There's there's someone for everyone in New York. Everyone's really open-minded here. And uh, yeah, also if you're a gym queen, it's truly your fault and your loss for narrowing down your sort of your options to that sort of minuscule granular level. True. It's your loss. Because you know what they say, ten bez bzucha swaborucha. <laughs> <laughs> what does that translate to? You'll just have to tune in next week and find out. <laughs> That's on the Patreon level. Yeah. So, uh, well, PayPal there's us. also a great, there's also a great saying in Hebrew, uh, which goes which sort of translates to in the desert, every thorn is a flower. <laughs> uh, I guess you know what that means. Um, okay, I'll tell you my what mine means quickly. It's um, yeah, he without um, he without a belly, poorly fucks. 
<laughs> but it rhymes in Polish. It, it's really good. It kind of reminds me of that German saying that was told to me by a uh, by a rural kid. The Doomsten Bauer. Uh, what? How does it go? Anyways, it translates to the dumbest farmers grow the biggest potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> so, mic drop and with that we're off have a great week everyone yeah. <laughs> cheers ciao